Hi there, this is Jordan welcoming you to the podcast and thanking you for downloading and sharing with others. Another Class A guest coming up today, but before we begin, some details for you on how to contact me. I just recently cranked up the old Twitter account, and you can find me there, at Jordan WBZ. Of course, WBZ Radio was my home, and still is, for decades. On Facebook, we're at Jordan Rich Show, and this podcast is produced at Chart Productions in the Boston area, so the email address is Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, at chartproductions.com. More exciting news, On Mike with Jordan Rich, The Late Night Classics is a new podcast I've started, now two episodes strong, plucked from the WBZ Late Night Show archives. Some of my favorite interviews are going to be here. The latest, a chat I had about six years back with Caroline Kennedy. You can get on Mike Late Night Classics with the iHeart app and, of course, on most podcast platforms. And soon we'll be adding those podcasts to our podcast home base, which is at chartproductions.com. So there's the update. My guest today is Susan Solomon. She's the author of a book called Lost and Found in Spain, Tales of an Ambassador's Wife. Susan Solomon is a dynamic lady, and for more than 30 years she helped private foundations with their philanthropic endeavors. And then in 2010, she began to serve alongside her husband, Alan, in Madrid, Spain, where he was appointed U.S. Ambassador to Spain and Andorra by President Obama. Lost and Found in Spain is her first book, perhaps one of many. Let's go on, Mike. So let me begin by asking, how do we address the wife of an ambassador besides, hello, Susan, welcome? Well, first of all, it is nice to just say, hello, Susan, and welcome, (laughs) so I don't mind that. But when I lived in Spain, I was either addressed as embajadora, madam, senora, or Mrs. Salamant. And I would say to people, please call me Susan. And they would say, Yes, Mrs. Solomon. They just wouldn't do it. It was. It just wasn't in their blood. There's that sense of diplomacy and tact and what has to be done. Let's go back a ways to how this all comes about because we know there are diplomats all over the world and they're appointed by a president and so forth. But uh, when does your husband get word and how? How does that happen? Well, uh, so my husband had been very, very involved with President Obama's campaign and um, took a real leadership role. We wanted some role within the administration. He wanted to play some part, not knowing what that part would be. And you got a call from the transition team that said, would you be willing to, and I'm putting quotes up, travel? (laughs) And that was sort of the way people would respond to, would you go overseas? And the answer was yes. We had thought, we hadn't really thought about it. We had talked about it like maybe this could happen. Who knows? It could be a dream. But when that call came in, it became a reality. At that point, we didn't know we'd be going to Spain. When they say, would you be willing to travel, that, that could be in Tonga. I mean, there's really yeah, no Yeah, it could be Tonga. Yeah. Uh, it could be Fiji. It could be, right. you know, Argentina. You sure. just don't know where it would be. Mm-hmm. And you're asked to think about it a little. And plus, there's a lot of vetting that goes on. And the calls, this was in January of 2009. So it's right when President Obama took office. I was in one room in our house. Alan was in his office. And I heard him say, yes, we'd be very interested in serving overseas. And it was like, oh, my God, this is going to (laughs) happen. And scary. Had you been to Spain prior? I had been to Spain in college. Mm -hmm. So in college was a while ago. So 1975, when my friends were doing junior year abroad, and I had a friend who was studying in Madrid, and she took me around Madrid. 
and frankly, my memories, sangria and churros <laughs> in the morning. And yes. other than that, and I remember the street she lived on, the name, and I went back to look at it when I came back some 45 years later. Wow. It's a lovely story. It's called Lost and Found in Spain. As I mentioned, Tales of an Ambassador's Wife. We really get an inside look as to what it's like day to day. Uh, most of us have a sense of an embassy and marine guards and meetings and high level. But so much of it is connecting with the local people, connecting with the culture and doing your part to help. You're absolutely right. The image you have of people in meetings and marine guards and uh, sections. There were 250 people who worked at U.S. Embassy Madrid. About 120 of them are foreign service officers. They are people whose careers are in the foreign service, and they rotate countries from year to year. And then there's about another 150 to 200 who are local Spanish staff who are always, always there. And let me tell you, the embassy staff is wonderful. We really love both the local employed Spanish people, as well as the foreign service officers. But the real part is to connect outside. And the ambassador, my husband, Alan, would connect both with the government, with the finance industry there, with business of all sorts, uh, and with people. I mean, we were there to represent one country to another. And I took it very seriously to get out and meet Spanish people and open up the mm. U.S. Embassy in Madrid to as many as we could so that they could get to know us and our country better. Well, you also made some strides in terms of women and business and so forth, and you write about it in the book. I mean, the opportunities are a little bit limiting because you're not the ambassador, but you found a way to do some things. Were, were you taking your cue from other ambassadors' spouses or what? So I knew I wanted to have an active role. Um, as you'll read in the book, as you've read in the book, Jordan, I had a very wonderful career in the not-for-profit work, doing work for public broadcasting for almost 20 years, for working for the Philanthropic Initiative, helping philanthropists give money away strategically. And I knew I wanted a role. I did not want to be the ambassador's wife who stands and smiles and, and hosts. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with doing that. I just wanted to do things differently. And I wanted to be able to have an active role. And I was fortunate enough, after a lot of struggle, to find a way to connect Spanish businesswomen with the embassy and its mission. So, for example, the head of Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Pfizer, Hewlett-Packard, I could go on and on, are all women, Spanish women running American subsidiaries, mm -hmm. country, the mm -hmm. subsidiaries of the companies in Spain. And I found a way to shine a light on them. So I'd bring them into the embassy. I would play Jordan Rich or I would play Oprah Winfrey <laughs> and get to interview people. And I would uh, connect them with some of the counterparts on the American end, both within the embassy, people doing work in our commercial services or perhaps in our cultural section. And I'd invite people. We'd have 100 guests at a time coming to hear this. These were coveted invitations. And it started slow. But it built, and I was really proud that this yeah. became part of the embassy's mission of connecting women in Spain with women in the country. And as you say, the people behind the scenes who are working the protocol and, and doing the logistics, they're working all day, seven days a week to make sure that things happen. I mean, obviously, we know what happens in, in the halls of Congress and in the White House, but, but they do happen in these embassies. It's like a well-oiled machine. You've got 
this presentation this day. And I'm not even talking about your husband who's working all the time. Is that a new adjustment for you when you get there? I mean, there's the idea that things are being done for you. Well, things are being done for you. They want to make the ambassador's life as easy as possible. So you do have it, – it, picture a regular corporate organization. So you do have all your different divisions in it, and it goes up to the top. It's hierarchical, and the ambassador is the top. The ambassador is the equivalent of a four-star general and has the words extraordinary and plenipotentiary in his title wow. or her title because there are women ambassadors it's too. It's a lot for a business card. A lot for a business <laughs> card. You had to learn how to say that one as well, plenipotentiary. Plenipotentiary, okay. And um, and and different ambassadors take different roles. Alan was very, uh, I would say, engaged in all aspects of running an embassy, of being the CEO, so to speak. And he cared about what went on within the embassy and cared about what went on with his external relations. So to make the life easier, you we lived in what's called a residence. We had staff in there. We had um, – I had a footman. I felt like I was in Downton Abbey. I can tell you <laughs> the footmen were great and they, they lived – they were there to serve, to make life easier. And I don't feel like we took advantage of that in any way except that it allowed us to do our work and not worry, what am I going to have for lunch today or what am I going to have for dinner or where are we going to go to the supermarket? Things that I actually miss doing but things that were quite nice to have done for me for three and a half years. I want to get to how this was obviously a life-changing experience while you were there, but then post. We'll get to that uh, in a little while, but there are some fun things that I want to touch on. Fourth of July, as we record this podcast, we're right around that time. I actually have scratched my head and wondered, what's Fourth of July for Americans like abroad? But it's really special at the Spanish Embassy when you guys are there. I love the Fourth of July in Spain. So every country has a national day. Our national day is July 4th. Mm -hmm. It's when you celebrate the birthday of your country, the anniversary of it. And July 4th for the U.S. Embassy in Madrid was enormous. Um, I'll, I'll tell you more about the third year we were there. We had over 3,000 guests on the property of the residence and the embassy. Uh, we had a military band playing rock and roll music. I love rock and roll music. Mm -hmm. We had a military, you always have a military you know, processional presenting the colors, the flags, mm. to the ambassador and to me, the ambassador's wife, and to our deputy chief of mission, the second in command, and his wife. When they start playing the Star Spangled Banner and you put your hand over your heart, mm. it is a moment of you just take in how meaningful it is to represent your country mm. and how much you love your country. You write about it so eloquently. When you're there, you just well up with pride. But also, which was kind of cool, a bunch of local establishments that have American ties. What, Dunkin' Donuts, we I believe? We had Dunkin' Donuts. We had Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> well, we had, and we had hot dogs. Uh, it's uh, my husband's favorite food, hot dogs. So around the grounds, we had like bull carts, like you would see like in a marketplace. Yeah, yeah. And they were all these American food. And we served only American foods. There was no paella or gazpacho served here. We had hot right. dogs and crab cakes and corn and, you know, anything you'd have at a 4th of July barbecue. You, you, you tell the story about the 
Oscar Meyer Wiener Mobile, which I'm familiar with because in radio, you know, we've done promotions with these people for years. You wanted to surprise your husband who's a big hot dog fan. He's in the ambassador's residence. He's doing his gig. How did you come up with this idea? And the fact that they had one in Spain is remarkable to me. So Oscar Meyer is actually, <laughs> they have a subsidiary called Campo Frio, okay. which is located in Madrid. And I knew the president of Campo Frio. And I called. Now, I want everyone to know that this was not paid for by the U.S. government. This was paid for privately by me. And I spoke to the president of Campo Frio, Oscar Mayer, and I said, is there any way we could get the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, the Wienermobile, you know, that long hot dog yeah. that goes on that yellow truck to come to the embassy and serve <laughs> hot dogs? And they said, of course. Now, it sounds easier that, than it was because – it's a secure compound. You have to deal with a lot of, you know, security and you have to deal with surprising somebody. So I surprised Alan by telling him I was giving a speech at a university nearby, which is a plausible thing for an ambassador's spouse to do. And he better be there to pick me up on time so we could get there on time. And when we walked out the front door of our residence, all of the embassy staff and the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile were sitting right outside our front and, door. And your husband's reaction was understandably, holy smokes, how did you pull that off? <laughs> it was understandably. Not only was he shocked, but it was the third year in a row that I had surprised him with some hot dog theme on his birthday. Uh, I fooled him. It's a point of pleasure in my life. You might have a side career, you know, as a party <laughs> planner at that point. Yeah. We're talking with Susan Solomont. She is the author of Lost and Found in Spain, Tales of an Ambassador's Wife, serving under the Obama administration for, what was it, four years? We were there for three and a half years. Three and a half, We right. got there in January. Um, everybody thinks of Spain and the beautiful weather. We got there January 9th, 2010, and it snowed the next day. Never snows in Madrid. It snowed. What a welcome. It wasn't for well, Bostonians. That was probably uh, it, it was like, did we bring this with us? <laughs> but uh, we were there and then yeah. we left uh, on June 28th, 2013. We'll be right back with today's guest in a moment. This podcast is produced at Chart Productions with technical assistance from Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media. Now, if you're interested in developing your own podcast, whether for business or fun, please get in touch. We're now actively producing a whole bunch of great shows. And with our decades of broadcast experience, we can help you every step of the way produce and push up to the cloud a podcast you can be proud of. Visit chartproductions.com, C-H-A-R-T productions.com, and get in touch if we can be of help. Now, back to today's episode. It's customary for ambassadors to do one term, right? Isn't that Correct. so that the president, if he is or she is reelected, they can Yes. So a foreign re service or a career ambassador serves three years in a post and then will move to another post or rotate back to Washington for service. A non-career ambassador generally serves about mm -hmm. the first term. And we knew that with summer coming on, it was a good time to leave. It quieted down a bit. It's glamorous. It's exciting. You're living in a foreign land. You've got footmen, et cetera. But you're also upsetting your entire regular life and that of your children. You have two daughters, and I want to talk to you about what that was like. People have an image of anybody in the celebrity world or in the in the public sector as, oh, this is great. Everything's done. We've got limos. But you're not shopping at Whole Foods anymore in Newton or wherever it might be. Tell us no. a little bit about the culture shock at first that you had to deal with. Well, um, it was a culture shock to deal with it. Uh, you know, I mean, my first week there, I sat down with our residence manager and 
she explained to me how food gets purchased. I don't make shopping lists. You know, if I wanted something, I would tell them and they would shop for me. And while that sounds lovely, you do lose some bit of control over your life. You get used to it, but you do. And, uh, you know, things were taken care of for us. But we did leave our daughters. They were at that point, um, one was 23 and the other was just starting her freshman year at college. We did leave them in the United States. We left my parents My father was dying at the time, and I knew that. He was very ill. And friends, family, and a community, and Alan and I and our fabulous cockerpoo (laughs) named Stella Blue, the three of us were there. You know, we were the family unit. Soon to be the subject of her own book. Thank you, Jordan. She's the subject of a book called Stella the Ambassador. It's geared for children, (laughs) geared for K through three, ages, you know, four to eight, on diplomacy. Here you are doing this after really doing a lot of work in the in the sector, I'm going to call it the public sector for, for public television, public radio, and fundraising and so forth. But this is a whole new level of service, isn't it? Uh, this is a whole new level of service. And I have greater understanding for our military, mm-hmm. the men and women who make their career serving our country, the foreign service officers who do that. I have such respect for them because they really do serve our country. And I feel like I served my country, and I'm very proud of that. And not to suggest that Spain isn't a place that things could happen, but for anyone who goes into this area, whether it be spouses or the ambassadors themselves, there's an element of uncertainty and and sometimes bodily risk. Uh, We had – well, I did not, but Alan had security. He had three bodyguards assigned from the Spanish government. They were Spanish police. We had an armored car to drive in, and we had a tail car following us. Funny to say, I did not have that security. So when Stella and I would go out for a walk, Stella the dog, I was just walking the streets of Madrid, which was a great freedom. And I will say, I never felt frightened. Mm. I never felt like I was being tailed or anything else. I felt very safe. But but American history is fraught with people who have given their lives as foreign service officers, as ambassadors. You know, the world's a complex place, let's put it that way. We were there for Benghazi. Yeah. And I might say that that might have been a scary moment. Mm -hmm. Um, We did have protection. We had, uh, you know, tanks surrounding the embassy and our compound. Right. And we knew security was heightened. And our hearts go out to the family of Ambassador Smith and others in Benghazi mm. who lost their lives. Uh, it, that was awful. And, you know, people in the our State Department people, our foreign service officers, serve in places like Afghanistan and Iraq sure. and high-risk countries. It's, mm. it's what people do. Spain was relatively low-risk. You were coming back and forth, sometimes for, for family, important personal reasons, as you mentioned, but sometimes just to come back and reconnect mm-hmm. with home. And that must have really been special when you had an opportunity to come home and go back and forth. So for anyone out there listening who has flown in <laughs> overseas from Europe and you sort of come into Logan Airport and you see all the green, or it could be white if it were winter, the topography of the land. It just makes you feel like you're home. And we used to 
we called home something. We called it the warm embrace of home. Mm. And that's the way we felt every time we came home. Uh, And I came home because both my daughters were home. So every three to four months, I would come back. And we'd spend a little bit of August, that downtime in Europe. We would come back to the States and spend some time at home as well. But we just did not want to be social. We just hunkered down. We just wanted Mm. to sort of recharge our batteries. You are quite svelte for a woman who just ate everything in sight. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the food is a lot of fun in the book. And how you found food and discovered food and some of the things they prepared and all this. It's an interesting thing to be in another country for years and to start eating the way they eat. We ate the way they ate. If people could see me, I have this huge smile on my face thinking of Spanish food. But look at you. You look like Twiggy, <laughs> if anybody remembers that reference. No. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. One can hope. Uh, I love Spanish food. And we ate it. I, I, people say, do you cook anything? I, I do make gazpacho. I make it from Memorial Day to Labor Day. It's my summer drink. I should have brought some here today. Uh, but we did. We experimented with food. Spanish food. You could have traditional, you could have your paella, and you could have your cochinillo, which is, you know, a a roasted pig, or you could have lamb chops, Mm. you you know, all of those things. You could have great fish. Some of the best fish in the world is in Spain. But then you could have these gastronomic, molecularly changed foods, like spearheaded by people like Ferran Adria of the restaurant Del Bulli or Jose Andres, who became a dear personal Mm. friend, a great humanitarian and great chef and restaurateur, uh, who make things that should be hot, cold. You think it's going to be hard. It's going to be soft. You think it's going to do one thing and it explodes in your (laughs) mouth. We had these olives. They look Uh. like olives. You put them on like one of those Chinese spoons. You put it in your mouth. And you don't bite it. It just sort of explodes Mm. with flavor. I'll also tell you that in terms of food, one of our favorite things to do is to go to the Chinese restaurant every (laughs) Sunday night or to have pizza brought in. There was one time we entertained kids from college. We had one of the colleges coming through. They were following sort of the history, the root of the Jews, of Jewish people through Spain. Right. And I happen to have known one of their mothers. She's one of my physicians. And they came to the embassy, and I always felt that this should be an educational experience. So I created a PowerPoint for them to, so that they could understand what an embassy was like. I would answer questions, but then I served them pizza. And just from the local pizza place, we ran out. Somebody, One of the footmen had to go run and get us more pizza because they're college kids and they eat mm-hmm. a lot. But we like that too. You do miss your own food. Perfect segue because um, the Sephardic history in Spain is well known to those in the Jewish community and to others. You write early on about high holidays, celebrating them here, and then going over there and rediscovering some of the connections to Judaism over there. I thought that was interesting too. We were we wanted to be part of a Jewish community. Yeah. And uh, we went to both the Sephardic synagogue, which is what we would consider more orthodox or traditional. And then we went to one that's Mazorti or conservative and a little bit more egalitarian. Men and women sit together, for example. And we were part of this community that did not have a home. They observed services in rented spaces. And people came. You could wear shorts and T-shirts. It didn't matter. It's not like holidays here where people dress up. But it was the one place where we were known as Susan and Alan. And that was very, very refreshing. It was actually a very emotional time for me, and I write about it in the book, because when you're in a new place and you're not with your family and you don't know everybody, 
and you're missing the music that you've learned over the years from your own congregation, your own synagogue, my own synagogue, mm-hmm. I got very homesick and mm. started to cry. And it, it, it was emotional, but I made a good friend because of that, because she saw me crying and gave me her tissues. Ah. Ultimately, the whole idea of embassies, ambassadors, diplomacy is to create bonds, to create connections, and to promote peaceful coexistence. But beyond all that rhetoric, what I glean from you and from meeting you today and reading your book is that above all else, we can get along with other people if we get to know them and hang out with them. I mean, I've been lucky enough to meet people from all over the world in my job, and uh, you have an opportunity to break those walls down and those even stereotypes that we all sort of keep with us. And what a refreshing thing that is. I've had people that I've worked with in recording studios from Africa, from Asia, and I've learned so much just in working with them. Here you are living in that environment and working in that yeah. environment. It has to have a big impact. It had. It's amazing to have that happen. So let me give you an example. So we would have a Rosh Hashanah dinner, the Jewish New Year, mm-hmm. and the Jewish people we all knew were with their families. So who do you invite? You invite the non-Jewish people. We invited Muslims, We invited Catholics. We invited Protestants. We invited everyone who had never experienced a Rosh Hashanah dinner. The sentiment was beautiful. It actually, the same week, we hosted an iftar dinner, the dinner that celebrates the end of a day of Ramadan. And the prayers were identical about hope for a beautiful world, about joining together, living peacefully, hopes for the new year. So holidays like that in Spain gave us an opportunity to get to know people, break down barriers of uh, that lead to greater understanding. And finally, you wrote this book. It's just out now, 2019. Did you need a little time to decompress? Well, I'm still <laughs> decompressing is the truth. Uh, the book was based on a series of letters that I wrote from Spain. I wrote 34 letters called Olas. They went to 13 people at first, ended up going to over 3,000. The book is not a book of letters, though. Hmm. So it took me two years to write it. And then I worked on getting it published. I have a wonderful publisher, Disruption Books, out of Austin, Texas. And um, But it was a process, and it did not just you know, sit down. I don't know how other people write. It's a good way to cap off the experience. It's kind of like doing one of those photo books that we all do, but it, this is a lot more it's, detailed. I, I will say it's much more fun for me to talk about it now yes. than it was to write it. No, writing is uh, Writing tough. is hard, and I tip my hat to all the authors out there who do this. I'm so proud of my book, and I'm proud to talk about it and to share the experiences with people and I'm also just so grateful to have had the chance to serve overseas. Well, it's called Lost and Found in Spain, Tales of an Ambassador's Wife. We've been talking with the author, Susan Lewis Solomont, S-O-L-O-M-O-N-T. It's everywhere on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. and Local bookstores. All fine books are sold. Thank you so much. And uh, yes, I started out by asking what to call you. I'm going to continue to call you Susan. Thank you, I hope so. Thank you so much, Jordan. (laughs) What a pleasure. And thanks to you for listening, for downloading, for subscribing, for reviewing this podcast, which is available on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, this is Jordan Rich saying, be well so you can do good.